Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. We will continue this evening discussing the nature of the Supreme Lord as presented in the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. So we've just completed the 47th Anucheta, which dealt uh, pretty extensively with the delineation of the various attributes of the Lord, his name, his form, his activities, his various powers, and how those were all transcendental, and Jiva Goswami made some comparisons between what are our, what, how we experience our senses and our form and our actions, and what differentiates our actions within the realm of material existence from those in transcendence and specifically those of the Supreme Lord both in transcendence and when he descends avatar mean coming down so the Lord can come and go as he wishes he owns the whole house so he doesn't he can go into any room as he desires, as he wants, and he doesn't need an invitation. He can manifest, or he can he can manifest, just appear. Or he can appear like a human being, if he so desires. He can, he can come in a way that we would have an easier coping with his advent. So when you have an appearance of the Lord, the stars may align and the great sages may know to come and bring their gifts and you know, but and we may we may better be able to to accommodate that in our in our mental uh, appreciation of things of much more than uh, the Lord simply jumping out of a pillar. But he's free to come and go as he as he so desires. So Jiva went to great pains to point out the difference between the Lord in transcendence and the Lord when he descends as an avatar coming into the material world. And his actions and our actions. Now we also can have actions in transcendence, but we can't take this with us there. You cannot exist in the transcendental realm with the material body. The material body is inherently destined to destruction. It's not permanent. It's not made of, of permanence. Every, in fact, everything that we observe within our environment here goes through this same transformation, comes into being for some time, it exists, creates some byproduct, uh, it dwindles, and it's gone. So that stands in direct opposition to transcendence, or the spiritual realm, where everything is sat, chit and ananda 
Of course, here we have existence, but it's not permanent. Whereas when we say sat, we mean permanent existence. Chit. We have cognition here, but it's not direct perception as we're going to start to learn this evening regarding transcendent perception. We do have perception, but it has to go through a through an instrument. Without a working instrument, there's no perception. So in transcendence, there's direct perception. So cognition, perception, awareness, however, whatever nomenclature we want to ascribe to it. Uh, there's existing, sat. There's perceiving, being cog cognitive. And then there's enjoyment, ananda. Also, the quote, quote, ananda here is not like transcendent ananda. It's basically a satisfaction of the senses, but it's very fleeting, very temporary coming and going. One time I'm perceiving something and it's giving me great joy, it can change. We see that even in our own lives. At one point in our life, I really like to listen to some particular band and then later it's like, it just sounds noisy to me. I don't, I, I might, I've changed. I've I've grown out of it. I think they say you grow out of something. I know I've grown out of a lot of my clothes. So <laughs> we also sometimes grow out of our mental states. You know, we we like something and then we don't. Even happens with our relationships. Sometimes we like people and then we don't. Or I sure did like that car, but. I can't, uh, I want a new one. So I liked it and now I don't. Now I'd fight with it. Every time I turn around, it wants more money from me. <laughs> Have to take it back to the shop. So transcendent existence is not like that. It's good for us to, to see the nature of, just like we went through in the last Anucheda, this last section of transcendental wisdom, by Jiva presenting the names, the Lord's birth, form, actions, name, they're all transcendental. And by learning about those from this one, one simple verse spoken in the heavenly planets by Gajendra, Jiva has milked out so much information for us. What's the difference between a transcendental birth and a material worth? What's the difference between a transcendental name and a material name? What's the difference between a transcendental form and a material form? So we can learn about all these in relationship to the Supreme Absolute and we could also learn about them in relationship to our current condition and appreciate 
that we also could have life and transcendence where the shortcomings of our current situation could be easily overcome. Not that we strive to overcome that as a an objective, but when you associate with a king, you live like a king. So similarly, if we associate with transcendence, the supreme, through his name, through his form, through his devotees, through learning about him, through the scriptures, chanting, and praise, all these things that we can do in relationship to the Supreme, they bring us into his company, and he's certainly the king of all kings. <laughs> so we begin to live like a king, and our, mater- our senses and our perception and our way of thinking, our way of, of perceiving things, gradually becomes spiritualized. It's analogous to placing an iron rod in a fire. Now iron is just iron, but if you put an iron rod in a fire and let it sit there long enough, even though it is iron, it will take on the characteristics of fire. It can start something else on fire. It can burn you. It's For all intents and purposes, when it's in the fire, it has the same exact qualities as fire itself. In that way, we, through devotional service, can become transcendental ourselves. So much so that will give up whatever desires over time. These desires will fall away. We call them anarthas. Misplaced values. Putting, ascribing value to something that really has no value in relationship to our true self. And how, how, how attached do we sometimes become to those things that aren't ourselves? We ascribe a lot of value to them. How attached do we become to things in this world that are so impermanent? So these differences, gradually, we, we learn in, over time from hearing, from hearing these things from Scripture and from association. We learn the body is not permanent. Everything associated with the body is not permanent. We don't become neurotic about it, but we do gradually begin to see things in proper perspective. So much so that we, we begin to transcend the modes of material nature. So we begin to see things in a, in a, in a transcendental light, and it's good for us. Because there will be an ultimate crash coming to a body near you very soon. Uh, sooner, we, although we wish it was always later. So it helps us to condition us. There is transcendental life. We are eternal. We can learn this philosophically, 
and as we advance in spiritual culture through practice, we can begin to experience it internally. So we'll continue a little bit this evening. Jiva Goswami is going to go forward now, and we've talked we've talked in relationship to this verse where his body, his actions, his name, his potencies, these things in relationship to the Supreme Lord are all transcendental. They're, none of them have any relationship with what we're accustomed to in material existence. He's not subject to that. And by our by ourselves becoming subordinate to him in a loving relationship, we also lose being subject to material existence altogether. We wish it was overnight once we know how nice it is, but it does gradually happen. It's a culture. So now we continue to the 48th Anucheta and Jiva Goswami. The Lord's senses are transcendental. So now we're going to enter into an un, a little bit of a deeper appreciation of what's the senses. So the Lord's senses are transcendental. So let's look at the let's look at the Anucheta. He starts out in his Anucheta. Therefore, the import of the Vedic statement: He has no hands and legs. That's a, a Shruti statement from one of the Upanishads. And that's where it ends. So we see the difference here between a statement from the Upanishads and a Puranic statement where, well, let's understand it through a narration which we can relate to. Simply to have a statement coming down from high, he has no hands and legs. Okay, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Where's that going to take me? We see the distinction. We have the Upanishads, these Shruti statements, he has no hands and legs, you are that, Tatwamasi. All these statements are very, you know, these aphorisms coming from the Veda. And they're nice, but you really need to unpack them and to fully comprehend the meaning. And that's why we have the great, we, we take advantage as much as we can of the unpacking of the great sages who have had some revelation in regards to this. He has no hands and legs. The import, what this means, and this is Jiva, Jiva's unpacking it now. He says, what this means, quote, he has no heart, no hands and legs, is that the Supreme Lord is inherently self-endowed with an eternal, unlimited, self-manifest, blissful form. He doesn't have any hands and legs like we have hands and legs. He's self-endowed with them. He didn't have to take a material body to get a hand or a leg or two arms and two legs or four arms. He didn't have to. We had to take birth in a womb to get this. It's nice. It came out pretty well. You know, we have teeth. It's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good setup. He didn't have to do that. 
He's self-endowed with this. But this is a, this is a Vedic aphorism. He has no hands and no legs. This is a statement of, of absolute truth coming from the Veda. So how do we understand it? We have to understand he's self-endowed. If he manifests a form which he is not forced to, like we are, we're forced to take a birth in a womb. So, inherently self-endowed with an eternal, unlimited, self-manifest, blissful form. The statement does not intend any other conclusion, such as that the Absolute is hence formless and unqualified. So Jiva says, when we hear a statement like this, you shouldn't think that the Supreme has no qualities. The Supreme contains all qualities. So don't misunderstand this statement from the Shruti, from the Upanishads. He has all qualities, such as the pers- I'm sorry, the personified Vedic Vedas establish this in their prayers to the Lord. Now something is brought out here which is very interesting. In the tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. There's a section called Prayers of the Personified Vedas. And Sridhar Swami, that great commentator on the Bhagavatam, now that section is called the Shruti Stuti. Shruti Stuti. So there's all these prayers of the, of the Vedas in this one section. They're prayers to God. And what's brought out is these great Bhagavatam scholars, like Sridhar Swami, have identified a significant mantra from the Upanishads to be, to be the speaker of all these 28 verses. So you can go to this 87th chapter of the 10th canto, and you can study these prayers, and you can find that there's a significant statement from the Upanishads it, which is representative of the the individual prayers that are presented there to bring out this, the Lord has transcendental senses. We can look at to the Swetas Upanishad, Swetas Vatara Upanishad, and 1087-28. It corresponds, the mantra corresponds to this particular prayer to Lord Krishna. So the verse, he has no feet or hands, yet runs swiftly and can grasp anything. He sees without eyes and hears without ears. He knows whatever is to be known, but no one knows him. The sages call him the original and the greatest conscious being, Purusha. So that's the, that's the actual actual Upanishadic statement. And this is the verse from the 10th canto. Though you are without any senses, you are the supremely independent upholder of everyone's sensory powers. Just as tributary kings pay homage to an emperor, 
so do the administrators of the universe. Accompanied by Maya, bear offerings to you, while gladly consuming the oblations offered to them by human beings. They carry out their responsibilities out of awe for you. Twam Akarana Swarat So since the Lord's form is transcendental, it follows that his senses are as well. This makes sense. He's a transcendental entity. He's not of this world. We're of this world. He's not, although it's his world. To remove any doubts, however, Jiva Goswami will now explicitly show that this is so. By quoting both the verse from the Shruti, Stuti and the corresponding Vedic mantras, Srila Jiva Goswami shows how the Smriti and Shruti confirm each other. So again, Shruti, Shruti, Smriti, Paranadi, Pancharatra, Vidim, that true spiritual knowledge has to be based on these great revelations, transcendental revelations. First, the Shruti is accepted in learned circles of sages as actually being what is coming directly from the Lord himself. Uh, Apurusheya is a terminology that's ascribed to those statements, meaning what? Non-human. They're not born of mundane intellect, of mundane mind and intelligence. They, they contain all spiritual potency, and they're absolute in nature. And then we have the elaboration on Shruti, Smriti, and Puranad. The import is this. The word karana, karana means senses, is used here to denote an instrument or tool, like a hatchet, which is utilized by the great, I'm sorry, by the agent in order to accomplish his objectives, yet is entirely distinct from him and functions purely as an extension of the agent. Karna does not include anything that is an integral part of the agent's nature as the burning potency of fire. So Jiva Goswami is beginning to, to unpack this and explain to us what's the nature of material senses. They're to be looked at as karana. It's a tool. It works like a tool. It's external to us. Well, I don't know. I more or less feel I am my senses. I'm my legs, I'm my arms, my working senses. And then I am my knowledge-acquiring senses. I can see, I can hear, I can smell, I can taste, I can touch. Five. Five senses allow us to perceive what's going on around us. And then we have an internal sense, the mind, 
that filters all that out and then puts it into little boxes so that we could appre- we can we could come to some reasonable understanding of what our senses have just presented to us. So we see something and immediately we say, oh, man, woman, tree, house. I mean, we, we immediately put it into a category and assign it a name. Now, in the beginning of life, there's a stage of wonder before the names come. <gasps> Everything's like, you know, it's... Then all of a sudden, cow... Whores, mommy, before you could even, you're like, it's a wonderful environment, and all of a sudden they're throwing this stuff at you. Mommy, say mommy, mommy, what the, come on, you know, mommy, milk, poo poo, I mean, come on, leave it alone. But isn't that the, is immediately we, we're, this is thrown at us. And the mind carries it forward. All of a sudden, within what? Six months, a year, all these associations begin to formulate within the mind. All of a sudden, the wonder kind of filters away and the associations take precedent. In the beginning, everything's just like, you can see in the eyes of a child, through the eyes of a child you will see. Uh, we don't stay in the child very long. The body moves on. So Karna, the senses, the senses are not, our senses are not ourselves. There's a distinction between the self and the sense. Well, let's go to a simple example. Let's go with the working senses. I could have great legs that get me from one place to another and they can take me overseas to fight a battle for my country and I can come back and I have no legs. I've not changed. Is there any difference in me? Is there any difference in the essence which is my, my very existence? I can lo- lose my legs and still be myself. I can lose my arms. I can use my, lose my arms and my legs. I can hear one day and not hear the next. I can see one day and not see the next. I can smell one day and then the smelling power. These different sensory sensory perceptions can be taken away from me, but I'm still me. It behooves us to understand the significance of the fact that for us, the senses are karana. They are an instrument. They are not our essence. And the point being made here is The Lord has transcendental senses. They are his very nature. They are not a filtering agent like our senses. Our senses are the vi media for perception of material existence. And they themselves are material. 
They're not fully independent. They're a method to gain apprehension of, of things around us. But they're very limited. They also require an outside agency to provide the input. Then we get into the sense devas. There are other living entities in the material existence that provide us with the perceivable object. And they control the senses providing that. Now we're getting deep. What? Yes, in material existence, there has to be a sun. We did not provide the sun, but without the sun, there is no seeing. There is an agent who provides sunlight. Now, in our environment, we kind of can grasp what's going on in the big picture by looking at our small picture. I turn on the faucet and water is coming out. If I live in town, let, let's put ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a city environment just to make the analogy work a little bit for us in this regard. So I turn the faucet and water's coming. And I turn on the, the switch and the light bulb is lighting. And so many things are there and it's like automatic. Wow, there's, there's light in the room. There's air conditioning coming out, keeping us comfortable or uncomfortable as it may be. There's, uh, so it's coming, but it's not happening by chance. There is an engineer in the power plant that's installed equipment to turn coal or flowing water or the, the rays from the sun into the electricity that's coming into my home and providing the light and the heating and cooling. And without that agency running that equipment, the power company, there would not be any electricity in my home. And it, it takes a lot of work for them to make this stuff. And it's all the wires that have to come and they've, they have a whole company, have trucks and guys. And, you know, if there's a storm, these guys run out and they fix all the wires. So I got electricity again. And the, the water treatment plant is taking all the dirty water and turning it into uh, water that they give to us, sell to us again. <laughs> but the main point is we have that on the microcosmic level in our own homes. That same thing is happening on the macrocosmic level within the greater environment of the material universe. And do not think that there's not someone at the wheel of the sun 
He's running it. He's he's got it set up. It's it's very subtle. It's it's a subtle science, but you can go to that planter planet. You can change your form. My spiritual master even wrote a book in English to give us some perception. He called it Easy Journey to Other Planets. If I want to go to the sun, I can worship the sun. There's a procedure. If I want to go to the moon, I can worship the moon. There's a personality there. He will accept what I offer and if I have a strong desire, he will give me the facility to enter his environment. Is it unreasonable to think that this is possible when I know that I can't have electricity without somebody arranging it? But the sunlight's just coming by chance? Well, okay, you can think like that, but does it really make does it really logically make sense that the sunlight is by chance, but the electricity comes with all this built-in work required? Or the moonlight, or the water we drink, or the rain that falls from the heavens? So, Scripture teaches us there are people in charge of these things. And without their doing their job, these things don't work. You can have a seat for your senses. You can have a, a sensory mind there that knows how to interpret the information. But believe me, if you get up and the sun doesn't rise, there'll be no seeing today. If the air is not provided, there'll be no breathing. Earth, water, fire, air, ether... Mind, intelligence, false ego, all these material senses and millions of other interrelated things are managed. Just as everything we experience in our day-to-day -day life is managed. So the sense devatas some people refer to the sky gods, nature spirits. So most traditions have some appreciation for the fact that there's there's some, you know, the lights are ho on and somebody is home. It's not like the lights come on and nobody was home. There is some, some. So through their agency, their so that's why this connection is, is put there and explained and elaborated upon in the scriptures between the senses and the sense objects and the sense devatas that, that make that all work. In fact, uh, Vedic scripture, I believe, says there's 33 million, million, primary demigods. There's more, but those are the primary ones that keep the eyelids going up and down and the the air and, all, you know, there's a lot going on. Think about it. Do you really think about digesting your food? 
but it's happening magically. Magically, you eat and you get energy. So it's a very... The world is a lot more complex than than we're aware of. Just as our government is a lot more complex than we're aware of, unfortunately. So, Karna. Karna delineates a tool and within this material environment our senses are referred to as karna. They are distinct from ourselves. They are distinct from the self. The supreme senses are not distinct. There is no filtering mechanism That's why there's Upanishadic statements about the Supreme that he can hear with his eyes. His senses are all fully interchangeable. It's pure cognition without a filter. Pluck our eyes out and we cannot see until we get another body in a womb, hopefully but we cannot see anymore. Or we cannot hear. So they're, they're just to, to grasp the fact that our senses are, are tools, they're separate from ourselves. They sit in a body. They've been provided a seat from which act, they can inform us if they're acting properly. Sometimes they don't even act properly. What to speak of the unfortunate condition if the mind quits filtering things properly. Then the eyes can provide hallucinations or the mind can turn one vision into another or one hearing into another. It becomes pretty, pretty complicated, our material life, when things don't happen properly. Thank God they do most of the time. Therefore, because the jiva, that's us, little teeny little spark of spirituality, jiva, is connected to these senses, karna, it's not that we have no connection, but they are an instrument, they're a tool. He is called sakarna, or a possessor of senses. So the scriptures refer to our relationship to our senses as sa-karna. We possess them. You, now, addressing the Supreme Godhead, the Lord, you, on the other hand, there's a difference here, are the Supreme Self dwelling in the interiority of each and every individual self. So the Lord is inside and without. So it's addressing him as the indwelling cognitions. Being unattached to the individual senses, you are independent of them. This is because you are swarat. 
self-luminous by the potency inherent in your own essential being, Shurup Sakti. The Shruti say, and it's not Sakarna, in referring to the Lord they say Akarna, without senses. Not without sense perception, not without comprehension, not without cognition of everything, but without the necessity of an instrument like ourselves. Because he is Swarat, independent of anything external. Everything is part of his essential nature. We'll stop there for this evening. Are there any questions? Yes. So our, our senses are tools and are used to gather knowledge and look in the world. So that's like their purpose. So what's the purpose of Krishna's senses? They're part of his essential nature. I don't know if I understand your question. So what do they what's do for him? What the same thing they do for us. They're not material. They're not separate separate from his essential nature. They are him. They are his very self. He has the ability to be cognizant, but he doesn't need an eye to see. That's therefore the Shruti says he has no eyes. He has no legs, so that you can see him so that you can appreciate the beauty of his eyes. Everything he does is in order to satisfy those that he associates with. Otherwise, he'd have no form. He takes form to please his devotees. He takes form to reside in the heart of everyone and to exchange. It's all, of, all of that is loving Leela. He doesn't need to see anything. He sees everything. He has beautiful lotus eyes so that we can appreciate them and 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 have some some loving uh, appreciation. He has toes. They're sweet little toes. And his <laughs> devotees would love to touch those toes. So, I have a question. Yes. What form is taken? if it's not material in the transcendental change? Are they, is it spirits? If we don't have a material body, mm -hmm. what form is there? For us, when we attain transcendence, we take a form that corresponds with the love or appreciation we have for the Supreme in this life or in this existence. If we, if we, we take on characteristics, like let's say that you, in association with other devotees who, who have a loving relationship with God, begin to want to relate to God as a mother. But what form are we taking? You will take a form of a mother to the Lord. Whoever wants to be the mother. Not everybody wants to be a mother. Somebody may want to be a friend. 
Somebody may want to be a son. Somebody may want to be a lover. But that's not physical. It's not physical. Spirit. It's a yes. It's it's your yes. It's a spiritual spiritual manifestation of your love. The way you develop your love for God, the form follows your love. If you love just being part of the Lord's spiritual existence, His energy, you may not you may not take a spiritual body. You may just merge into His spiritual all all-encompassing energy. We call that Brahman. We're not very attracted to that because it's hard to have a loving exchange when you become part of the person. But you can become part of God. We call that Brahman. Brahmati, Paramatmati. Your form will develop according to your love. Your love will develop according to those who love God and you become attracted to the way they love God and you associate with them, and you learn more and more about how to love God in that mood. Our whole line is based on Raganuga Bhakti. We develop rag. We develop a, an affection. Rag. We develop that in association with those that have rag, and the way we develop that affection is according to what really attracts us. So we may be attracted to those that are the parents of the Lord. We may be attracted to those which are the conjugal lovers of the Lord or the friends of the Lord or simply his servants. And all those are equal. They're equal manifestations of unalloyed love. No one is better than any other one, although there are distinctions. How do you know when you're there? You'll know. <laughs> You'll just know. You will know because at least our teaching and the way we learn is it's all about revelation. We're not into this is just not book knowledge. We're practicing. Sambanda teaches the book knowledge. Abhideya gives us a practice to culture the love, and Prayojan is the manifest full manifestation of that love. Everything that we study, everything that we discuss is based on the revelations of those that have come before us. They've been there, they've done that, and we want to follow in the wake of their love. So we, de we try to develop like that. They say, you do like this, you, you, know, you act like this, you do like this, you gradually you know, give up certain material things that are going to stand in the way of spiritual progress, and your love will grow. And when you say they say, mm -hmm. who are they? They, we... People before? Yeah, the sages, the saints, those that are more advanced than us in this life, the gurus. We listen, we, we hear what people say, and is our heart will down? be drawn. Is this, is this written down? Oh, yeah. There's many books. We start with the, the, the primer is Bhagavad Gita, where the Supreme Godhead speaks directly to a disciple, Arjuna, the basics. You are not this body. Never was there a time when you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings. It's a good place to start. Bhagavad Gita is a great place because he, Krishna, the Lord himself, speaks the basics in Bhagavad Gita. 
we recommend we start there. We start with that basic conversation between God and somebody like us, lost in the world of man, wondering what the hell to do. Arjuna is in the middle of a battlefield and he's in a situation that's just untenable. He's got to kill his, his cousins. He's got to kill his teachers because that's, what he, that's the situation he's confronted with. And he's at a loss. I can't do it. He throws down his bow and says, I'm not doing it. That's where we start. What's the Lord say to us in the most extreme of material <laughs> circumstances? And he begins there. Well, you're really not the body. And they're not their body. You can do this because you ha I'm going to teach you superior transcendental knowledge. It's a little hard for us in the beginning. I know when I first read Bhagavad Gita, I'm like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. But the spiritual part has been working in me my entire life. Of course. I just haven't become consciously aware. I haven't awoken. Well, <laughs> I mean, and good, but it seems like some parts are, are awake. Of course. We're all like that. We all have. We all come with uh, with a lot of grounding in spiritual life. We wouldn't come into. Uh, we wouldn't have your good association with us, and uh, you also can learn some. So we learn from each other, and we have a basis, a pretty found, firm foundation of spiritual knowledge that we're drawing from. It's it's like a it's a stream, and uh, we just try to take a couple drops and look seriously at them. And, and enhance ourselves. This is non This is not a sectarian thing. This is not our group and that group and this look, viewpoint and that. No, we're not interested in that sectarian. We're saying, where's the essence? We're essence seekers. Guess what the name of our community is? Sagrahi. Essential. Essence. Seeking the essence. Seeking the essence. That's the name of this whole project. Is Sagrahi. It's a very complicated answer to the question you ask. It would take us yeah. a long time, but it's, we'll get there. It's okay. I've, I've got the basic essence. <laughs> okay. That's growing. That's good. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.